Hey podcast fans, Andy Clark here. The summer is almost upon us, so I thought I'd head into the garden and record the introduction out here. So you'll probably hear some birds tweeting in the background, and maybe even a nice plane flying overhead on its way to Schiphol. Today in the podcast we're talking about what it means to be an international mum in the Netherlands, and indeed what it means to be a woman in the Netherlands. Oh, there goes the plane right as we speak, flying overhead. My guest is a fascinating guest and we have a nice wide-ranging conversation, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. All right, I'll be back at the end of the podcast. And remember, of course, you can subscribe and become a sponsor of the podcast if you'd like to do that. You'd really help me out if you do that. You can become a patron uh, for the price of a cup of coffee each month. You can help out the podcast and I can make more podcasts if you do that. And uh, much appreciated to the people who have already done that. Uh, It means a lot. To me. There's a link in the show notes so you can click on that. But on with today's show. More birds. Tell me first, what did you have for breakfast so I know how loudly ah, you'll be speaking? Okay. Uh, what I have for bre- I had a Dutch krentenbol. Ah, is it lekker? Heel lekker. Okay, heel goed. Um, right, right. Deliana, um, we're going to talk about um, being a mum in the Netherlands. We're going to talk a bit about your book. I'm going to talk about various things. Um, first off, can you introduce yourself for me? Uh, yes, Steliana van der Rijt Um I'm a mum and I'm an organizational development advisor working for Shell here in the Netherlands. And we're going to talk about what it's like to be an international mum in the Netherlands, Mm -hmm. some of the stresses involved uh, with that. Um, We're going to talk about being a woman and a mum in Dutch society as well, a bit broader. You've written a book, Mothers as Leaders. We'll get to that as well. Um, First off, though, the basic question. How many kids have you got? I have two kids, um, Cara, she's uh, seven years old, and Thomas, four years old. And they're Dutch school? Dutch school. My husband is Dutch. I am Romanian, and they are trilingual. Trilingual. How does that go? Uh, in Saturday we speak Romanian. In the evening we speak Dutch. <laughs> and after school it's English. And my husband and I speak English as well. And how do the kids cope with three languages? That's that's a lot. Uh, better than I expected, actually. Better than I expected. The little one is switches them off all the time, and he's surprised nobody else speaks three languages. How long have you been here and what's your experience been so far bringing up two kids? Yeah, um, so I brought up my daughter in England. So I'm Romanian and she was born in England. For live, We lived there for the first three years in London. And we came here in 2014 and when I was just pregnant with my second one. So, um, yeah, my experience, it's just, it seems to relate a lot around uh, the mom being there and contributing to the child somehow just just a, my only comparison is between being a mom in England and being a mom here mm-hmm. and of course my experience at back home in Romania and it in the beginning it I felt a lot of pressure first year or two with the second one um, it got a bit better once I allowed myself to just say I'm gonna do it my way <laughs> what what was the pressure then where did that come from um I guess a bit self-imposed uh, peer pressure, 
I didn't. I don't think it's coming from per se certain society. Society, but it's a lot of times just I think mothers themselves. Um, you need to have your child to go to uh, physiotherapy. You need to go with your small child to dancing when they're three years old. Uh, I only found out when my son was four that I should have done all those things. Okay. Uh, so it's 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 small things. If you are. Um, yeah, influenced by peer pressure, it's it's it can be a bit much. Um, yeah. But when we were preparing for this, one of the things we had email exchange to fix up the interview, yeah. and one of the things you said was, you know, there's kind of um, a Dutch obsession for having uh, the happiest kids in the world. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I was, <laughs> I read an article actually, and I think it was a book or an article uh, written by an international American mom, and she was praising that the Dutch raise the happiest kids, and it was a great book you know, praising the how great the Dutch culture is in raising kids. But there was a cynic in me reading it, thinking, yeah, they should go and see how the mom look in the morning. <laughs> do they have time to do their makeup? Do they have time to take care of themselves while they're trying to be there for the kids, uh, do free sports, <laughs> uh, be there for school, have uh, the kids with the perfect clothes? So that, that was a bit what was behind it. So yes, happy kids, but I see a lot running in the morning a lot of also a bit yeah a bit stressed mom do you think that is then does that you know cost that's at the cost of the mother in some way this kind of trying to make your kids super happy in this dutch thing or this kid's kind of an ideal it's been written about quite a lot yeah. like you say of dutch kids are the happiest in the world but then yeah. is that a kind of extra pressure then for international yeah. mums coming here and it then and does it take its toll then on on your emotional well-being I, I thought about it actually because it, it after two years I, I you know I thought why why I feel it more pressure now than I felt before and I, I started to read a bit about the culture and um, one thing I learned I mean being married with a Dutch guy you learn more about the culture is family is very important here so one great thing is if you work you can tell anytime guys I have to stop this meeting I'm going home to take care of my kids it's a perfect argument so that's good in the same time, that comes with the other bit, which is when we say family, kids are most important part of a family. It's not like the Greek family. I have Greek uh, ethnic background where family is important. The kids are part of a family. The Dutch culture, I feel the kids are the main part, hmm. the center. And it's, it's good. I mean, I, I, I love my kids. Um, when it becomes a problem for creating guilt with the mother, and it becomes imbalanced, then there, it's a problem. And it could be with the father as well, eh? because I think nowadays a lot of young fathers do their share as well and work part-time and stay at home. So that's, that's health. But when you don't have fathers that stay at home, that's all the pressure is on, on the mom. And that's where I feel that's where the more the problem area could come up. Do you have a specific example of something when maybe you know, in, the, in the time you've been here, the five years you've been here, when you were like, wow, there's like a full-on pressure to kind of, you know, keep these kids super happy or everyone seems to be keeping their kids super happy. And do you have an example of something? Yeah, like, yeah. I actually have. Um, maybe it's not about being happy, but it was a couple of weeks ago. I wrote about it as well in my blog. Um, I said, leave the moment, dare to dream and leave the moment and leave a dream. Because I, it was a Friday, which is my day off, which is great in the Netherlands, get a part-time day. I pick up my daughter at three from school. She's super tired after a whole day. We had to bring her to tennis because, of course, as a Dutch kid, she's doing tennis and dancing and 
competition in 300 the other things yes and 300 other things right so she was very very tired my son which is four was sleeping upstairs and i was running like mad trying to wake the one kid up who was sleeping and of course he needs his sleep and feeling super guilty that i take him out of bed to bring the other daughter going downstairs trying to get her dressed and she was screaming and in that moment i just said you know what we're just not gonna do this and she looked at me what? we're gonna miss tennis yes we're gonna miss it we're gonna not gonna do it because i make i'm stressing myself too much i, I have to get your your brother out of bed you need to sleep you don't want to go there why are we doing this why are we screaming at each other and it was nice we just went upstairs and read okay and it was a bit of guilt feeling i'm I'm not following the rules and I didn't get to cancel the lesson and I didn't follow the schedule. It felt good though. And I wonder why does it have to feel so extreme that I need to write about it? Yeah. <laughs> Getting out of a schedule. But that agenda culture is something that internationals always say about Dutch society as well. You know, even making a kind of social, uh, you know, you want to go for a beer with somebody, everybody gets their agendas out and, you know, and make an after Because yeah. it's something that's a bit alien, I think, to a lot of internationals. Yeah. Yeah. So it's finding the balance of being who you are within the Dutch culture. And, you know, it's okay to eat ice cream at six. My daughter said, mommy, we can't eat ice cream at six. This is dinner time. And I thought, you know what? You're half Romanian. You're going to eat ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> is it very different in Romania then in terms of kids? Are kids less central there than in terms of family life? Um, good question. They're still the center. Very interesting, actually. The outcome is the same. The mm -hmm. kids are very much the center of Romanian. It comes back to communist culture when Ceausescu wanted to have a lot of kids. So mm -hmm. kids get everything. But there's, I think, sometimes it comes with more kids tend to be spoiled. But it's less structure. So... I'm used to this culture, don't, you know, it's, 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 I believe in the fact that kids are important and they should be at the center, but it's, uh, we don't have a level of, they call it the uh, regelmachtigheid, you know, in Dutch it's called about the free R's when raising kids. Yeah. The free R's is, I think I read it somewhere. Reinheit, Reinheit Regelmacht, So it's structure, uh, enough rest and, yeah. uh, yeah, regular and, yeah, and cleanliness. Cleanliness, yeah, cleanliness is right yeah. And yeah. Romania yeah. is a house is a mess if you have kids and everybody thinks it's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, kids have to be like you, so they follow your schedule. Yeah. It's a family schedule. Right. Not, not the kid's schedule. Yeah. Uh, so you, it's not much rustigheid because we are kind of Latin and we talk a lot. So right. <laughs> okay. It's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it's very structured though and it's, it's very much following the kid's schedule and that's your yeah. experience so far. Because you want to and that's... You do everything for the kids. It's, it's just good, but every strength has its shadows. And Yeah. And, yeah. and talking to other international mums here, is this a similar sort of reflection you get from them? Um, I, I, I think there are two types of international moms. I think if you have your kids in British school and American school, I live in Valsenar, so a lot of moms have kids in American school. I think it's just they follow more the American school system, so that's less. It's almost living a different world. Yeah. Um, and it's easy when you live in that world to only see the positive of the Dutch culture. <laughs> right. Um, yes, I think moms like me, which are half partner is Dutch or they live in Dutch school. Yes, they do see the yeah the the, the almost the extreme structure. Right. So then you really have to get to terms with it and learn the day to day. And you're you're yeah. in the Dutch system, of course. So yeah. yeah, I have more Dutch moms complaining than international moms. Though. Oh, That's yeah? more funny. What do the Dutch yeah. moms say then? Well, you know, this feeling of you know you want to in the same time you want to follow all the schedules, but then you like to complain about it. 
Mm. So it's it's a bit of a Dutch culture as well. Right. And juggling this as well with a professional career. What was your professional career? You're working for Shell doing yeah. doing what? Um, so what I do is um, as an organizational development consultant, um, I work with senior leaders to help them improve the performance of their people, culture, processes. So a lot of leadership coaching. Um, more, if you want to call it more the softer side of consulting mm, okay. <laughs> if you have the McKinsey which are the more the commercial side the spreadsheets the spreadsheets we work with McKinsey but we bring everything together right my experience is with McKinsey is usually when they come and everyone gets fired yeah so it's a bit of people get scared so they like <laughs> us more <laughs> yeah yeah great and there's been a lot of talk recently about the role of professional women in Dutch society there's still a gender pay yeah. gap and there have been a lot of kind of discussions about why is this still the Netherlands seen as being a liberal mm -hmm. society and what's your experience being you know a professional woman here mm -hmm. and how do you see the whole gender pay gap discussion um it's a, it's a hot topic um and I've done some study in my when I had a talent role as well I only can check from what I see at Shell and I think what I see at Shell is there is n it's not an intent I, all our policies are meant to have equal pay um, what happens though and I, I can see from my experience is um, when you you want to have a higher salary you need to be promoted to the next level so I noticed two years back when I made the jump to the next senior level, the responsibility grows much. Mm -hmm. It's it's exponential. Yeah, sure. Um, and and it's in the level of um, unpredictability that is required of your time schedule is bigger. So that means it's tougher if you are a mom with two small kids like I am. It's 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 tougher to to say I want to do that job. You have days when you think, you know, I have to work at night. Is it is it worthwhile? Yeah. So what I see is actually a lot of young moms decide not to promote, not to push themselves too right. soon to that step. Mm. So the, the I think sometimes the, it's created both by the uh, well, the fact that some women don't don't dare to to take the step, and some uh, instances some bosses tend to protect the mom. So there's this sense of, oh, but you know, she's busy and this job requires unconscious bias. This job requires a lot of travel, mm. a lot of working in the evening with that. So what that creates is the higher paid jobs typically are the one with high risk, Yeah, having to travel, yeah, having work at nights, which doesn't fit very well with having small kids. Mm. And especially when you've got this this culture of kid-centered focused in the Netherlands that we were just talking yeah. about. Yeah, so I, I think if we want to have less gender pay gap, we need to work more on creating the workplace more inclusive for parents, men or women, because men also deserve to see their kids at night. Mm. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I see my husband who likes to be at home and he also struggles with the same thing I do. Yeah. So it's, it's, it should be less about women or men. It should be making it more inclusive for parents. And extreme measures, you can use it for a while. Like let's say we only hire women or we're going to have quotas. I lived in a communist time when right. in Romania they yeah. have quotas mm -hmm. for women. And quotas for women, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my father was also, you know, president of the local, whatever, call it, co-host. And I do remember they said the vice pre president needs to be a woman. Right. Um, it, it's a bit it's a difficult one because if it's pushed and then people say yeah she's only there because it's a woman you are really undermine the 
from the beginning, the woman in place, I, I do think it needs to be the right person yeah. for the right job. We need to make sure we make the recruiting process as open as possible, <laughs> as inclusive as possible, removing biases. Mm. Um, but I think quota can sometimes damage. It's interesting, though, because recently Eindhoven University just said that they were only going to hire female professors yeah. for any academic posts yeah. that are now open for the next year, I, year, I think, at least, or they're yeah. going to try it for six months. But um, because they have they have only something like 15% of female professors yeah. and the goal minimum is 25%, so it's a huge gap, mm -hmm. and they've taken this kind of mm -hmm. extreme measure. Did, did you see that, and what did you what did you make of it? There's a lot of controversy about it. Yeah, it is... It's, it creates sometimes these measures create more controversy and I think it can have more the side effects mm. my opinion um, because it gets a man talking underground and I see it at work I had it sometimes men who said yeah you know there's discussion about equality but there's more women that get promoted and you know if you're not a woman you don't get promoted and they say it with soft voice <laughs> uh, yeah if you cre it creates more uh, um, how do I say more uh, like separation, to tokenism, yeah. tokenism between men and women. That that's that's not okay. Mm. Um, it can be, you know, you can say we can have a target, which means we actually gonna do our best to have enough candidates which are women. We're gonna, you know, even can say having preferred candidate. But you need to follow meritocracy. That's my principle in life as well. Right. And seeing the, what the communists did to all the quotas. Yeah, that's really interesting because your background is very different then to that extent. And what do people say when you do you bring that up in conversation? Yeah. What do people? How do people react to that? It's a uh, funny enough. I mentioned it in an interview also about growing up in Romania and communism, and I think it got me got me hired <laughs> somehow oh, <yeah? laughs> because it was a bit. Well, it's because I remember the uh, the communist uh, regime. Uh, fall in December 1989 mm. and I think the impact it had on me is that even if it's a good thing you know the socialist principles are not bad at heart no <laughs> but if it's brought to the extreme at the expense of meritocracy it can have really bad consequences so what it what I learned from it what I took away from it is um no leader is is like is God. They are there because people put them there. People put you there because they follow you. They like your story, and in one second, people can take you down, like they did with Ceausescu within a day. So you can be God on that day, and so never remember how you got there. <laughs> um, and and I keep that in mind when I work with leaders. It helps me keep to be grounded and not to be. Dif deferral to power, differential to power. So yeah. I, I treat them like equal. To power. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it keeps keeps it sane a little bit. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting to have that perspective. Then being brought up as a kid in a communist uh, communist country. And um, let's talk a little bit about your book then, because I mean we've talked about being a woman and a mother in the Netherlands, and you've written a book, Mothers as Leaders. Mm -hmm. Give me the thirty second snapshot. What's it about? It's about how to make the best out of being a mother in developing yourself as a person and as a leader. Uh, I see uh, motherhood and being a parent a springboard for developing yourself as a leader and not an obstacle. Um, and unfortunately, I think a, a lot of moms seeing the work-life balance see it as a, as a problem. Mm. So this is what a book is. And I, I interviewed many moms. I interviewed 15 moms from different cultures, all from Mongolia, China, America, from doctors to CEOs, to hear about their experience from 
what they dreamt when they were a child and how their dreams changed when they became a mothers and how they see leadership. So I brought all those stories to help young mothers to reframe their mindset about parenting and not let them stop to follow their dreams. Give me an inspiration. Give me an inspirational story then from the book, an example of one of these women you spoke to that you think this was just such a great inspirational story. Yeah, I was thinking about it. It's just it's hard to choose because all of them. The reason I chose them, they are they are all inspirational. That makes but, sense. Yeah. Um, there is a story of, and and I changed the names of my <laughs> of my characters. Right. Uh, the story of Diana. She's um, a reason for changing the names. Or was there? There is a lot of personal details. So okay. women really shared the struggles, mm. the issues with yeah. the, their child, and okay. uh, so some of them said and and one of the the characters actually is a political refugee so safety as well Mm -hmm. Um, but the story of diana is a mother who had it all perfect she had two kids good job uh well paid an au pair at home to take care of kids everything sorted and um she had a third child and when he was a baby um they found out that he had a she had an incurable disease Mm. and the whole experience of of having a baby that they they said that that baby's going to die practically in Dutch hospital but that completely changed her personality and and how she took that obstacle that hardship and used it to become stronger what did she do um well she continued to work her husband stopped working the she proved the letter wrong the hospital letter wrong Uh, the daughter lived she's now 15 wow uh, but it is. Um, what was, what she was suffers it? from o- OI. It's um, a disease of bones. Okay. Brittle bones disease. Okay. Which means that every time, for from anything, she can break her bones mm. and end up in ends up in hospital. But she was given the diagnosis that yeah. her daughter would die when she was young. When she still? was a or month old. Yeah. A month old. So yeah. The life expectancy for yeah. the daughter was very short then. Yeah. But then they they continued, and she she kept her job. She opened a foundation. Uh, to actually support the advances um, in research for that disease. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's much more advances. And her daughter now is, is 15 and having a, okay. a happy life. But for me, what I took from that story is how she, she, the hardship of being a mom combined with the hardship of having a child, which was not perfect. She said, how can you love somebody who's not perfect? But she loved, she learned how to love somebody who's perfect was not perfect and make it stronger so she really used that experience to become a better person her career at, at work also went i mean she she became a well-paid manager and she changed of course a lot of things about herself so wow. for me that was a great story of yeah using hardship as a yeah springboard for becoming a better person and that was in the netherlands you said uh that person is in the netherlands she's german by background Okay, but she was the international mom in the Netherlands, yeah. and because a lot of internationals have problems with the Dutch healthcare system, yeah. they find that very difficult to. There is negotiate. something about that as well, so you can yeah. see her frustration as well, how yeah. she managed to to kind of fight with that, and it wasn't easy. Okay, but she really stood her ground and insisted that her daughter got more and more treatment, and in the end, it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's an amazing story. She's, I think she's even helping hospitals now through her foundation. So. Yeah, yeah, because well, I've talked in other podcasts with uh, Healthcare for Internationals and they do surveys and it's shown that under internationals, it's only about a third of internationals actually trust Dutch doctors. Yeah. They have kind of this big hang up about the healthcare system. 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a different story. I mean, I I, yeah, I learned that, is, that was, I yeah. use my cultural knowledge. To, I, I I I'm very good with Dutch doctors. I'm yeah. assertive. <laughs> That's the word to use. <laughs> All right, but the book. Why why have you written this book now? I started to write when I was pregnant already. So when you have two small kids, it takes a long time to write a book. So it took me five years. So right. For anyone who thinks about starting to write a book when you have a small baby, just prepared, it might take longer. Is it your first book? It was my first book. Yes, and I decided. It was really, I was doing leadership courses in Shell, um, facilitating, in the same time struggling with my first child who has an allergy to eggs, to, to milk, to all of these problems. So okay. I was really struggling as a mm, young mom. Yeah. I thought I'm failing. Stressful, yeah. <laughs> and I thought the work is where I'm happy. So what I had a big aha moment during one of the leadership courses when I was teaching the people, I thought, I can use this on myself at home. So that's where the idea for the book came. I started to take lessons from the business leadership world at home and the other way around. Give us an example of a lesson you took from the business leadership world to to home. uh, Being clear on my expectations. Right. And uh, I call it signaling. Mm -hmm. So at work, when I do trainings, it's very important to signal to your audience through your body language, through your voice, what do you want when you give instructions. It's very important for kids. <laughs> okay, all right. So just a small. Does yeah. that work? Do they say, "Mom, you're signaling us now," or do they? Yeah, they don't know what I'm doing, but it does. <laughs> I think it works until they caught on to me. My daughter is learning pretty quickly, and the other one, I I call it negative negative psychology. That also works. Oh yeah. Sometimes when I want her to do something, I just say the opposite. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, uh, we've all tried so that one. So we all try that one. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah, an yeah, easy yeah. one. Okay. Any other ones from the business world which you think? Well, I never thought that would work, but it turned out to be pretty effective. Um, well, I think business, well, more leadership. I think it's an element of being fair and thinking not about the one-to-one relation, especially if you have more kids, thinking about a bigger picture. Whatever you say to your daughter, in my case, my son is watching. So you are a role model when you're yeah. a parent. So if I tell her you have to be independent, I can see my son in the background pretending to be independent. So just be careful like be mindful you you're always being watched yeah and you are like the most important person with the yeah. kids whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. you do gets multiplied yeah right they're watching you the whole time yeah um another have you got another example from the book then another nice story you could share with us i have a well it's, it's more of a, a sad story when it is and people that i mean i can't tell everything but mm. it's it's a story actually of a Mongolian um, political refugee who, who 15 years ago came to Europe um, due to being prosecuted. And that's a story that convinced me to really write the book. I, I think all the, through the interviews I cried. <laughs> um, for me, that story is about a legacy. And it taught me about how the different cultures uh, define parenthood. In the Dutch, or my culture, is more about t- being there for the kids. Uh, she decided to fight for her country. And she had a six months old year old kid at home, but she decided to still go. And at the time, you know, she had to fight against the communist system. But she went to fight and she's been arrested, prosecuted, but she didn't stop. Okay. Um, so this was a, a, a conflict it, between Mongolia and Russia? or At the time, yeah. It was when... The uh, Soviet uh, Union? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. She's 50-some now and mm. a grandma. But she, she lived through torture and really mm. tough time. But what was, for me, really, really surprising, and, and I learned a lot from it, is that looking back, um, she said, I went through some tough time. And if you read the book, you <laughs> know all about the, the, the amazing story that she had. But she said... 
my role is to leave a legacy. My mom was there to take care of the kids. She always says, we were a matriarchate because I made sure the kids were taken care of. I earn enough, I would bring money. But if I don't continue to do this, what am I? If I'm not leaving legacy to my kids, I mm. leave them nothing. And in, her kids are big now and also went to politics and you know, they're very she, she proud of her. had to leave her kids behind. For a while, yeah. Mm. Now, and now she's actually very happy. She decided to go back. So I sent her book to Mongolia. Okay. So she got reunited with the kids yes, in the end. And she spends time actually with her grandchildren, right. which feels like she needs to catch up. <laughs> okay. But for many a year, she was separated from the yes. children while she was in a conflict and then imprisoned and yeah. been through torture and all kinds of yeah. horrendous things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and But she never, what I was impressed, it was never the guilt. And I learned a lot because I felt guilty if I didn't pick them up in time and I didn't bring them to dancing because I wasn't there all the time. And also I also gives provided. you a bit of perspective. Huh? Indeed. <laughs> so, you know, that you, there's more you can do for your kids, which doesn't have to do with giving food. It's more about the role you can play in society as a leader mm. and the, the fact that you are a role model for them. So that really gave me a lesson. How did you find these stories? Uh, via, via. So a lot of times we're just asking, a friend asking. Yeah, it's it's just amazing how much you can get just by. And I tried, actually, I did use a, a method for, of career counseling. I'm a coach myself. So I had a, a tested method and I had a target group of cultures from the all, the, all the continents, age groups, because I wanted from 72 to 29 okay. uh, different professions. Mm. But you you can actually get, and it took me, three, four years, so I mm. wasn't in a hurry. <laughs> this was a method to make sure you have yes. a kind of good cross-section of, yeah. of the, the sample, you know, yeah. the people, yeah. the stories yeah. you wanted, because yeah. yeah. you didn't just want Western women from the yeah. Netherlands talking about their experiences. Yeah, I mean, I have one or two and I have a mm -hmm. UK, but I really wanted to have, and I didn't hurry. Okay. After three years, when I had my stories, I thought, now I'm ready to pull it all together. Okay, fascinating. And how's the book been received so far? Quite well. Actually, I wasn't, yeah, it, I shouldn't be surprised because I wrote it, but I'm actually, <laughs> I, I'm I first book I wrote, so I didn't expect, you know, I actually, lots of people were call me and they want the book and uh, I get positive um, reactions. It feels quite intimate when you write a book and put it out there. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I What am, did you do then the day you published? Uh, yes, I first thing I made a wonderful picture with my kids. I was at home and we did lots of selfies, laughing and partying with the two little ones. And they thought it was very cool. My, nice. my son was forced that he will become a writer as well. Ah, that's nice. That's great. Before that, you're a blogger, though. Or you were blogging before then? Or you've been blogging all the time? Or uh, Since 2017. Uh, somewhere in the middle of writing the book, I was feeling it, it's a Okay, so it's hard work. You have to spend a lot of time by yourself and you don't know if people will like it. So somewhere after about two years, I thought, let me start actually blogging so I can get some reactions if this is a subject people are interested in too. Right. So 2017, I started to blog about my own experience about mother's guilt and being a working mother. And uh, mm. the, the reactions I got from mothers from all over the world, because via Shell, I can distribute my blog Across, we have all these internal comms uh, networks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of great comments and okay. I realize I need to finish a book. So. Yeah. Okay. Good inspiration to make you get to the end of the book then. Yeah. Excellent. 
All right. Um, now, fantastic. Great talking to you. Maybe before you go, uh, do you have a kind of final kind of, you know, inspirational thought to share with other international mums in the Netherlands or the international women in the Netherlands who might be, you know, kind of wrestling with some of the issues you've addressed in your blog or in the book? Or what do you say to people when they say, you know, the Netherlands, uh, it's getting me down a little bit. It's too stressful here as a woman. How do you kind of put them back on their feet? Well, what I would say is dare to dream. Mothers are leaders. You don't have to uh, fight for your rights. You, you, are a, you are a wonderful individual the way you are, no matter where you're coming from. And you are already a great mother. Okay. And your kids love you for who you are. Okay, just don't beat yourself up too much. Exactly. <laughs> That's a nice tip to end on. And if people want to get your book, how can they find it? It is on Amazon at the moment. Um Coming up soon on at Parkman, actually just hot from the press. I came from Den Haag and I'm working with them to get them on the Frederikstraat uh, Parkman. Okay. But at the moment can be ordered on Amazon. You're going to uh, do a book UK. launch there or something and sign yes. some books? Yeah, I was okay. hoping to arrange. But at, at the moment is available online or either for the German Amazon, UK one, Amazon.com. Amazon, online. Or, or they can contact me via my website, mothersasleaders.com and okay. I can... We'll put a link in the show notes so people can check that out. Steliana, thank you very much for coming to talk to me. Thank you. Steliana de Wright Ekonomu. Big thanks to her for joining the podcast today. This is the last podcast. I'm going to take a small summer break now and be back in September. Uh, So whatever you're doing during the summer, have fun. Uh, Maybe you'll be staying in the Netherlands or maybe you're heading further afield. But have a great time, whatever you're doing. And remember, you can listen to the whole back catalogue of the Here in Holland podcast while you are travelling around. You can get it on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, if you want to become a sponsor and help me out, you can sign up via the link in the show notes and become a patron. Uh, If you do that, it would really help me out and I can make more and more podcasts the more people who sign up. I'm still sitting in the garden, as you can hear, and there are still planes flying all over the place ahead, and uh, the birds are still tweeting a little bit. Um, I'll post a picture of the garden gnome as well on the the Facebook page, something like that. Why not? Anyway, enjoy your summer, and I'll be back in September. Thanks for listening. 